Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 22. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Let me read you some famous last words. John Wesley preached his last sermon on February 17, 1791, and his text was, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Well, the following day, a very sick man, he was put to bed in his home. During the days of his illness, he often repeated the words from one of his brother's hymns. I, the chief of sinners, am, but Jesus died for me. His last words were, the best of all is God is with us. Farewell, farewell. And then he died. It was Thursday, December 21st, 1899, after cutting short a Kansas City crusade and returning home in ill health, D.L. Moody told his family, I'm not discouraged. I want to live as long as I am useful, but when my work is done, I want to be up and off. Well, the next day, Newt Moody awakened after a restless night. In careful, measured words, he said, the earth recedes and the heavens open before me. Well, his son, Will, concluded his father was dreaming. No, this is no dream, Will. It is beautiful. It's like a trance. If this is death, it is sweet. There is no valley here. God is calling me. I must go. And then he died. Well, Charles Wesley, he said these famous last words. I shall be satisfied with thy likeness. Satisfied. Satisfied. And then he died. William Carey, the missionary, he said, when I am gone, Speak less of Dr. Carey and more of Dr. Carey's Savior. And then he died. The pastor of the Church of Smyrna in the first century during the Neronian persecution, his name was Polycarp. Well, he said this, 86 years have I served him and he never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who has saved me? And then he died. And then who could, who would, who should ever forget the famous last words of Dr. Carey's Savior and my Savior and your Savior if you're a Christian as Jesus hung there on Calvary's tree and he said those famous last words, it is finished. To tell us die. And then he died. Famous last words. Well, here before us this morning, we have some famous last words from, from John, from the Holy Spirit, 
and from Jesus. We will conclude our study this morning, as I said, in the book of Revelation. And I'll tell you something. This has been one awesome, awesome, glorious, marvelous book. The things that we have seen and the glimpse into glory and the hint of heaven that we have gathered from this book has been pretty amazing to me. And, you know, you've got the, 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 the trees, uh, the, the prisms and the colors and the diamonds and the, and the pearly gates that are 1,500 miles high. And you can get all caught up into that and the, the tree of life in the midst of the garden and the river of life that's flowing from the throne of God. And all of these things are unbelievable. You know, the Bible says that I have not seen nor ear has heard, neither has as it entered into the hearts of men, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. You cannot imagine. I can't imagine. It's incredible. The scene of this brand new creation in the bright new city in chapter 21 and 22 of this book. But I guess I've got to say the most glorious thing to me that stands out to me of these two last chapters is the fact that the Bible says that someday we will see the face of Jesus. We're going to see him face to face. Paul said, now we see through a glass darkly. It's dim. We see him in the word and we see him as he moves in the lives of people. And we get just a glimpse of who he is as we, we see him dimly. But the Bible says that someday when you take your last breath here on, on earth, you, take your, you see the face of Jesus. You will behold what fallen men could never behold. And that is his glorious, beautiful face. And someone once wrote that song. I love it. We should sing it sometime, Steve. Where you at? Jim, what's the song? Isn't he beautiful? Beautiful. Isn't he Prince of Peace? Son of God, isn't he? Isn't he? Amen. Oh, he is. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be glorious. I want to finish this chapter this morning. (laughs) I am. (laughs) Revelation chapter 22, beginning in verse 12. Saints, if you're there, say amen. amen. And behold, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me. To give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. The first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments. That they may have the right to the tree of life. And enter through the gates into the city. Stop right there. Last week. Give me your attention. Last week we talked about this word quickly. And uh. And last week we we pointed out that this word doesn't mean shortness of time. It refers to actually how rapidly something will take place once it's begun. We talked about this in detail last week. If you weren't here, you can order the CD most certainly. How rapidly something will take place once it's begun. In other words, the events leading up to the return of Jesus to the earth are going to happen rapidly and speedily. After the rapture of the church, 
The events will speed up and his return will be sudden. So Jesus says, behold, I am coming quickly. Now, maybe you've been asked, I have been asked, well, if the Bible says that Jesus is coming quickly, then how come he hasn't come yet? Somebody ever ask you that question? And I tell him, because the Lord is waiting for you to get saved, sinner. Evil, wretched brood of vipers. Sorry. Uh, But the truth be told, I mean, that's what the Lord is waiting for. Second Peter, he said it like this in chapter three, though. Peter said the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness. But he's long suffering toward us. You see, this is why he's waiting, because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, the truth is, is that God will keep his promise and without delay, but according to his timing, simply put, God is waiting because he wants to save people. God is waiting because he wants people to get saved. The Lord does not want people to go to hell. You can go and tell that to your friends, tell it to your coworkers, tell it to your neighbors. The Bible does not want, the God does not want people to go to hell. Jesus came and died on Calvary's tree and his blood was shed so that people would avoid hell. Hell was not created for people. How many times have we heard, you know, why would a loving God send people to hell? Listen, a loving God does not send people to hell. A loving God sent a loving son to die on a painful tree that that men might be saved and avoid hell. But should you choose to reject the only means by which men can be saved, and that is through Jesus Christ, then hell is what you choose. And that's different than a loving God sending people to hell. The Lord has not come yet, and I thank God he hasn't come yet. I thank God he didn't come in 1981. Because I didn't get saved until 1982. Now, he could have come in 82, and all of you would have been lost. No, just kidding. (laughs) Just, Just a joke. It's just a joke. But we can all say, I think, we can all agree that we are glad he didn't come before we got saved. Amen? Because we would all be lost. And so God is waiting for people, and he wants to save people. Ezekiel says, and I I love this verse, and you might want to look it up in your own time, Ezekiel 33 As the Lord lives, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. You see, God is taking his good, sweet time coming back because he is patient. Now, the Bible is clear. Jesus will come and he will come quickly. And his reward is in his hand to give to everyone according to their works. Now, does this mean that we are able to work for our salvation? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Salvation is a gift of God. God has given us salvation. We are saved by grace through faith. Now, that's important to remember and important to commit to memory because I've heard people make the mistake of saying that we are saved by faith. We are not saved by faith. 
We are not saved by faith. Say amen. We are not saved by faith. If you start down that teaching, you way off track. We are saved by grace through faith. A very important distinction that we need to make and we need to be clear about. Salvation is a gift of God. It is God's grace. But the reality is, if you are saved, then your works will follow. Someone once said, it's the quality of a man's life that provides the ultimate indication of what he really believes. So if we are saved, then the result of our salvation, we will do good works. And the Lord will will reward us according to the good works that we do. But it all begins with him. It all begins at that place of being saved by grace through faith. And if there's true salvation in your life, then good work. God is looking for good works and God is looking for faith that works. Notice the Bible goes on to say, I am the alpha in verse 13 and the omega. Then you've seen that before. If you've been with us in this book of Revelation, you've seen that before. Chapter one, verse eight, chapter 21, verse six. And here again, we see it. I am the alpha and the omega, the alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. The omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet, and he is the first and the last. You guys know that I like C.H. Spurgeon, the prince of preachers. I love his quotes. Listen to what he says about this verse. Spurgeon writes, These terms together, the alpha, the omega, the first, the last, the beginning and the end, these terms together mean that Jesus is the beginning, the middle, and the end for the Christian. Preach orthodoxy or any form of doxy. If you have left out Christ, there is no manna from heaven, no water from the rock, no refuge from the storm, no healing for the sick, no life for the dead. If you leave out Christ, you have left the sun out of the day, the moon out of the night. You have left the waters out of the sea, the harvest out of the year, the soul out of the body. You have left joy out of heaven. Yea, you have robbed all of its all. There is no gospel worth thinking of, much less worth proclaiming in Jehovah's name if Jesus be forgotten. The Prince of Preacher, C.H. Spurgeon. Oh, I love it. I love it. He's everything. What does that mean, Rodney? Well, that's the long way to just say simply this. He is, he, Jesus, is everything. And that's why he could say to his disciples, without me, you can do nothing. Now, nothing in the Greek language means nothing. You got it. We can't do anything. Jesus is everything. The totality, complete. He's everything. He, we might say he's A to Z and everything in between. And without him, we're lost. Without Christ, there's no hope. Have you noticed how fearful people are today? If you live in the Washington, D.C. area, I was looking at the news, uh, and this one guy was talking, and they were interviewing him, and he said, you know, he went out to get his gas and for his car, and he's pumping the gas in the car. And he says, uh, you know, I was pumping my gas and looking over my shoulder. And he's, you know, fearful. We live in a world that, that, that people are fearful and afraid. 
Saddam Hussein has got weapons of mass destruction ready to use them. People are fearful and people are afraid. Listen, Christian, you don't have to be fearful. Because the Bible says that he's not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a, 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 a spirit of love and of power and of a sound mind. We don't need to be fearful. We need to be men and women that are full of faith. Why not be fearful? Because we know and we believe that Jesus Christ is everything. We really believe that he is the totality. He is A to Z. And we have him. And without him, we know that we're nothing. And we know that that where we're going when we take our last breath. See, there's confidence in the Alpha. There's confidence in the Omega. There's confidence in Jesus Christ. And we don't have to be fearful. We can be men and women who are not full of fear, but full of faith. Because of Jesus, because of who he is, and without him, we are all men and women most miserable. Without him, he's the Alpha and the Omega. Notice in verse 14, we are blessed if we keep the commandments, and we have a right to the tree of life and to enter the gates of the city. Notice in verse 15, but outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually, the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Notice that outside the gates of the city are dogs. Now, some people might refer to this verse and say, see, there are no dogs in heaven because outside are dogs. And for cat lovers, they say, there's no dogs in heaven, but there are cats in heaven. And because it just says dogs, it doesn't say dogs and cats. It just says, it's right there. And, and it, just cats in heaven. And you know, I honestly, I'd have to agree that there, there, there probably are cats in heaven. Because where else would they get the strings for the harps that they play in heaven. (laughs) I couldn't resist it. I did it first and second, and I just couldn't resist it. I'm sorry. Y'all forgive me. If you had a cat, you're like, no. Forgive you. But you know that dogs... You know, this doesn't mean literal dogs. You knew that. And get this. In Oriental cities, dogs were considered scavengers and unclean. And so in the Bible, it is true. Dogs are are, are considered morally unclean and impure. Now, for you Bible students, listen at this. Philippians chapter 3, do your homework in your own time. Philippians chapter 3, Paul the Apostle, he calls legalists and Judaizers dogs. Interesting. Legalists and Judaizers, legalists who are going around and telling the Gentiles that they had to go under the knife and be circumcised in order to be a Christian. They were saying, look, if you're going to be a Christian, then 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 it's got to be painful. They were saying these legalizers and Judaizers, it's got to be painful to be a Christian. And there are people who say that today. You know, if you're going to be a Christian now, it's got to be painful. It's got to be tough. You got to do this and you got to do that. And it's got to be tough to be a Christian. And if it isn't painful, then not really a Christian. Some people who are legalists would say, 
as they sharpen their knives and put you under yokes of bondage by which Jesus said they themselves are not able to bear. So they say, these dogs, these Judaizers, and God says outside of heaven are people who are morally unclean and impure as well as sorcerers. You know, good Bible students, the Greek word for sorcery is pharmakia. You knew that. Pharmacology, pharmacy, it links itself to witchcraft. Those who are into drug abuse and witchcraft are outside of heaven. Whoremongers and murderers, idolaters. All will be outside of heaven in a place known as the lake of fire. Well, then notice in verse 16 of what Jesus has to say. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things. Note, in the churches. That's interesting. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. Notice God says, I have sent my angel to tell you these things, to speak these things to the churches. The things that John wrote down were to be read by the churches. What churches? Well, chapter two and three, we know the churches, but also the churches that are alive and existing throughout eternity. We're to read these things and understand these things. Here we are at the end of the book. And I would agree that much of the book of Revelation, it seems fantastic. It seems almost fanciful. And, and, and it seems just, just incredible and almost too good to be true as you study this book. But listen, it all is true. How do you know that, Rodney? Because God says right here, I, Jesus, have sent my angels to testify to you. It's all true. Jesus says he is the root and the offspring of David. Now that's an interesting title found, for, found about Jesus in Isaiah chapter 11 in your own time. Look that up. As the root of David, Jesus brought David into existence. Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. So Jesus brought David into existence. And then as the offspring of David, the babe in Bethlehem, he was a descendant of the lineage and the line of David. And so he's the root from David and the offspring of David, Jesus Christ. He's the bright and the morning star. And then notice in verse 17, and the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirst come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Notice that. Now, if you're a note taker in your Bible, you should write this. This is the greatest and final invitation of the Bible. The greatest and final invitation of the Bible. God is saying, come to heaven. The spirit is saying, come to heaven. And the bride is saying, Come to heaven. The bride. We know from Ephesians chapter 5 that the bride is the church. So God, the spirit, and the church is saying, come to heaven. God wants people in heaven, as we've pointed out. God wants the sniper in Virginia, the D.C. area, to come to heaven. God wants Osama bin Laden. To come to heaven. God wants Saddam insane to come to heaven. 
believe it or not. He does. God wants people to come to heaven. And this is the message of Christ. And this is the message of the Bible. This is the message of Christianity. Come. All other religions, all other world religions, what do they say? They don't say come. They say go. Go do this and go do that. Go clean yourself up. Make yourself righteous. Go, go, go help yourself out. Go pull yourselves up by the bootstraps. Go and reach a place of nirvana. But the Christian Christ, Jesus, says, come just as you are. Don't, don't go first. No, you'll mess yourself up. If you go first, you're already messed up. You're going to be worse. Don't go. Come. Come to me. This is the message of Christianity. This is the gospel message. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.